Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Well, good morning again. I'm super excited to be able to preach God's Word to you here this morning. And if you take your Bibles now, turn them to the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, Chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we're doing this series called Abide Together. And what we've been learning is uh, that to abide, we have to pursue the things that Jesus loves. And uh, so we're looking at six different pursuits that we should be pursuing uh, because they're things that Jesus very much loves. The reason that we can love these things, the scripture tells us, is because he first loved us. Uh, Love disciples, love God and other people. And so when you think a little bit about how did God love us, we can see this. He gave us access to himself through fervent prayer. And he's opened the heavens so that we can see his glory and passionately worship him. And he gave us his word so that we can hear from him through the biblical preaching, whether it's self-study or somebody teaching. You ask, how did he serve us? And we can see that he has put us into a community of believers and given us the purpose of, dis, uh, of discipling people to unity and maturity. And today we're going to look at the fifth pursuit uh, in what we're trying to go after. We're going to look at courageous evangelism and then next week one more pursuit after that. So the six pursuits here at Harvest KL, as you can see listed on the screen, really uh, show us that God has loved us and, and has given us the opportunity to respond to him in love in the things that he has loved and sent us to do together. And so these six things describe the kind of church that we are trying to be. Today, the title of the message is Courageous Evangelism. It's the pursuit that we're going to study together and see what God has called us to in this particular activity. And so let's just define the title here just a little bit. The word courageous. To be courageous means to be, bra- to, to be brave in action in fearful situations, but regardless of the obstacle, danger, or fear. Courage is not the absence of fear, but it's what you do when you are afraid. Uh, evangelism is simply presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ with the purpose to persuade. And so what we see here is that we are called to courageous evangelism, that even if we're a little bit afraid and intimidated by this, that we are called to actually engage in persuading people about who Jesus Christ actually is. When you think about the six pursuits, I think that this is the one that is most intimidating to many of us. Actually, in the very first message, we, we listed the pursuits and we asked you, which one do you think that we struggle with the most? And courageous evangelism was the overwhelming response. And so when you think about this particular pursuit, it, it really is the most intimidating. Let's maybe let's let's gauge this a little bit. Let, let, put, put your hand out like this and, and give me a thumb. If you are a thumbs up, that's great. If you're a thumbs down, right. So just start right here in the middle and let's let's just call this our courage meter. 
Okay, so so give me a little bit of a indication. Are, are, are you courageous and, and maybe all the way up? Like, I don't care who it is. I'll tell everybody about Jesus. It doesn't matter where, when or how I'll do that. Or are you like, well, actually, I'm down here. I don't remember the last time that I've actually spoken up about Jesus publicly. Where are you when it comes to the courage meter? Just kind of give yourself a little bit of a grade there. I think the reality is we're intimidated by this and we see this as our weakest area. And and so we have to think about why is that? Why is it that many of us feel like we're pretty bad at this whole thing called courageous evangelism? Actually, why don't you just put in the chat right now some of your answers? Just go ahead and type right there in the chat and, and tell us what are some of the common things that hold you back when it comes to this issue of courageous evangelism? It's interesting, Jesus, when he was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, talked a little bit about this. He he said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And listen, when we're not courageous courageous in our evangelism, we're, we're not spreading the salt of Christ into the world. He goes on to say, you are the light of the world. Uh, Only a a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And yet somehow we're pretty good at hiding the city on the hill, aren't we? Why is it that it's so easy to to do something that is naturally really unnatural, that the city on a hill would be seen for miles, and yet somehow we can cover up the message of Jesus Christ? He says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We struggle with this. And I think there's a number of reasons. Uh, When there was a survey recently done that was talking about what do people fear most? So what do you think is the number one fear of people? Well, according to the survey, the, the number one fear is speaking in public. Now, think about what do you think is the second fear? What, what, the number two fear is death. So, so think about that. Why would speaking in public be number one and fear of death be number two? It appears that most people would rather die than speak in public. Why is that? It's because they're afraid of looking foolish. I think all of us are afraid of looking foolish. It's the fear of foolishness that kept us from raising our hand in class at school because our answer might be wrong. It's the fear of foolishness that kept us from volunteering to lead out singing in church because people might laugh at our voices. It's the fear of foolishness that keeps us from worshiping the God the way that, God the way that we could. The Bible actually has several stories about people who looked foolish. Noah looked foolish building an ark. Sarah looked foolish having a baby shower. The Israelites looked foolish marching around Jericho blowing trumpets. David looked foolish when he approached Goliath with a a slingshot. And Peter looked foolish stepping out of the boat in the middle of the storm at night. But what we see is that's faith. Faith is the willingness to look foolish, and God blesses that kind of faith. We see that Noah was saved from the flood, and Sarah gave birth to Isaac, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. David defeated Goliath. Listen, when, when we see where the courage comes from to face our fear of evangelism, we realize we have to be people of faith. So what does that person look like? 
Well, it looks like this. Write this down this morning. I will courageously evangelize when I am convinced it is my responsibility, confident in my role, and clear about the message. Really, another way of saying this is new creation people get a new purpose to be courageous evangelists. So today I want to talk to you about this subject and not about the techniques of evangelism. Actually, I think that's sometimes part of the problem. We're always talking about techniques and, and we're not really dealing with the heart. And so I want to deal with the motivation for what it is or why it is that we would be courageous evangelists. So if you look in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 16 to 21. Uh, every text in the Word of God has a, a, a point. Uh, something that uh, the author intended for us to know. And if you want to know what the author intended, you have to understand context. What did he put around it? And so here's some context. This book was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Corinth, which was a mess of a church. It was a culturally perverse city, and, it, and this church was not really salt. It, it actually took on more of the culture of the world around it. Paul ministered there for one and a half years, and then he left the church, and the church fell away from the teaching of Jesus Christ. And so Paul wrote them a letter to instruct them and encourage them and help them in the right things. But some of the members rejected Paul's letter. They accused him of not being a real apostle. Because of the suffering that Paul endured, they, they saw him and they were like, well, then you must not be a great leader because you're suffering. And they called him underqualified and overconfident. So Paul writes 2 Corinthians to defend his ministry, particularly the ministry of evangelism. And he teaches us in doing so what we need to understand as well. So let's read this text together here this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21 says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." So we see here reasons why Paul, and ultimately you and I, should be courageous in evangelism. And to, to take us through this teaching, I, I want to ask three questions and, and use the questions to help us understand the principles that are there. So the question number one that I'm asking this morning is this. Am I responsible to be courageous in evangelism? Now, you don't have to be around church long to know that the answer is yes. I don't expect that you would get that particular answer wrong, but, but really it's a setup to ask maybe a little bit deeper of a question because we know we're supposed to evangelize, but, but we struggle because we oftentimes are afraid to do so. So I think the better question is, why? 
Why am I responsible to be a courageous evangelist? You see, I think if we understood the why here, we would actually be able to be motivated in a different way rather than just fear. So let's start with verse 16 here. It says, For now, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Paul is saying this, we saw our life from a fleshly point of view, and that was really a wrong point of view. We saw things that were really just looking at the exterior of things. And we know that God judges the heart, but, but man is the one that has the problem with only seeing the outside. And so this is true of us even today. We, we look at the exterior features of a person. We think about the social status of people to, to, to measure them. We, we think about their racial profile. We think about whether they're low class or high class. And we make judgments on people based on those things. And we would have made judgments on Jesus Christ based on those things as well. And when we view things from that angle, we're viewing things as if we were to have dark lenses over our eyes, blinders, sunglasses, but really dark that we can't really actually see. And, and Paul writing this, he was, we know his history, he was like this. He, he saw Jesus as a false teacher. And before he came to believe Jesus Christ as his savior, he thought he was making false claims about being the Messiah. So how do you see Jesus this morning? Uh, what kind of lens may be blocking your eyesight to who Jesus is? Common lenses in our world today is to think that Jesus is a good man, but a good man only, nothing more. You may think that he's just a prophet. You may think that he's a crutch for those who are weak or that he's kind of like an imaginary friend. You, you don't take those things seriously. And that's where we all begin when we think about that. But notice verse 17. It goes on to say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Something happened to Paul. Something happened to all of us. We went from having these dark lenses that misunderstood who Jesus is to being in Christ. Do you see that there in verse 17? If anyone is in Christ, really that phrase is describing somebody uh, who is redeemed, or which means to be bought back or to be forgiven. It's when everything changes in a person's life and they realize Jesus is my rescuer and he's my savior and I can put my trust and believe in him. And the verse 17 here, actually kind of a popular verse, it says that we then are a new creation. Now that's awesome because that means the old life dies away. The old way of looking thing dies away. And now instead of the old way of seeing things, the new has come. I see things in a new way. It's the right way to see it. Now, I think it's important to realize that when you become a new creation that sees in this new way, it, it doesn't mean that you're free to do whatever you want. Oftentimes, people misunderstand that, and, and, and then they, they misunderstand their, in, the importance of why they should be involved in evangelism because they think, I don't want to do that. That makes me uncomfortable. That makes me tense. And so, I, that's because I'm at the center of things, I'm the center of life, I, I'm not going to participate in these things. And it's because you think that you're free to make that choice. But, but really, the verse here is helping us understand that isn't a free choice of ours to make. 
when you become a new creation, there is an obligation, a responsibility that you have to the one who has saved you. Look at verses 14 and 15 to, to understand that. We have to go back a little bit to see this fully. In verse 14, it says, Paul says, for the love of Christ controls me, controls us. He's talking about his motivation for why he goes about doing evangelism. He says it's because of the love of Christ. And then he describes it. It's because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, that, uh, and all have died. He's saying Jesus has died for every person who is a believer in him, and that all of them have died to the old way of living. Verse 15, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul is saying here that Jesus' life gives him, gives, Jesus' death gives him life. And that's the demonstration of his love that he went and died for us. But with that new life comes a responsibility. I no longer can live for myself, it says in verse 15, but for Jesus who died and was raised for me. Now, I think we get this concept. I think we understand this concept. When we're desperate and somebody helps us out, we have this gratitude that's expressed that says, uh, you rescued me, how can I return the favor? I remember one time when my car broke down and the, the bill was very high. And the bill was so high, I couldn't pay the bill. The mechanic did the work, but I couldn't get the car from him because I couldn't pay for it. And so I was walking around without my car, and my brother called me up and he said, Hey, Nate, I heard that your car's broken and, and that you need some help. Can I pay for it for you? And he paid this bill for me. And, and, and the whole time I'm thinking, how can I help? How can I ever be, follow, or help you in the future? Uh, I had this gratitude within me because somebody rescued me in, my, in, in kind of that desperate state. I knew that I, there was an obligation that I had, a responsibility that I, I had to be involved and help him if he were ever in that situation as well. So we lack courage to evangelize because we're not convinced of our responsibility. We don't understand our responsibility in doing so. We, we don't see our life through the lens of Jesus Christ. We actually have the old way of regarding Christ because we're not seeing the responsibility we have because of what he's done for us. Now, this is where we all start. We all start uh, as, as a person who, who doesn't understand Christ and the, and the responsibility that comes when we put our trust in the rescue that he gives us. We all begin to live for ourselves. But, but I think we can also see that that's not right. So I want to tell you a story that happened a couple thousand years ago. There was a, a, a city that, was, uh, that be, was besieged by a king and, and the city was completely surrounded by the foreign king's army. And things got really bad in the city. It was so bad that large sums of money were paid to, to buy the head of a donkey to eat because there was no food. There was famine in the city. Even worse, big sums of money were paid for a liter of bird dung to be consumed. I mean, now that sounds completely horrible, but one day the king was walking along the wall and he saw two women fighting and one of the women cried out to the king for help and, and she explained the situation. She said, hey, this woman and I, we made, a, we made a deal together that we would eat my son yesterday and then we would eat her son today. What? What? They're eating their children? 
the, the king is distraught and, and he's so upset. And, and yet there was a man of God. There was a prophet that was in the city that said that soon this was going to end. And sure enough, four lepers found the end of this particular siege. Now, they were sitting outside the city gate, as was the tradition in that ancient day. They, they were lepers, had leprosy, so they couldn't come in with their skin disease into the city. But as they were sitting at the gate, they said, listen, we're going to die if we sit here. We're so famished. And if we go into the city, we're going to die because they don't have any food either. So since we're going to die, let's walk over to the enemy army and to their tents. And, and they might kill us. And if we die, we die. But they might show us some mercy and we might be able to get some food. And so in the evening, they walked over to the, to the tents that surrounded the city. And as they walked to the tents, they realized wait, where are all the soldiers? There's no soldiers here. And they went tent to tent and they realized nobody was there. They walked into a tent and they saw all the, the, the food that was in the tent and they took all the treasure in the tent and they went and hid it. And then they came back, the four lepers, to a second tent and they did the same thing. They took all their food and they gorged it and ate it and they took all the treasure in the tent and they hid it. They came back for a third time and, and this is what it says. This is a story from 2 Kings chapter 7. It says, they, they said this, Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. And that's what they did. They went and told the king and they went and told the city and they, they told them the good news of the fact that the city was no longer surrounded. And, and, but here's the point. They realized as they were taking things for themselves that they, that was wrong. That if they were to keep that all to themselves, if they were to keep the fact that they were saved and there, were, there was no longer an army around them, that, that that was not right. They had a moral obligation to tell others, you can have life, you can have food. They, they, they've run away. In the story, we realized that God supernaturally created a sound to make them think that there were armies coming to, to get them, and so they fled. Listen, new creation people get a new purpose to courageously evangelize. We're the lepers. When we see the salvation, it's our responsibility to be courageous enough to tell people, you can be free, you can be free if we would have the courage to do so. So let me ask you today, do you need to repent of your selfishness? Do you need to realize like the lepers, I haven't actually told people the news, the good news. I've been selfish and I've held it for myself. When there's really a moral obligation to tell those who are, who are eating their own children, you can be saved, you don't have to do that anymore. If that's the case, you need to re repent of thinking that evangelism is not your responsibility. You need to repent of taking advantage of God's gift of Jesus' death and resurrection and, and just keeping that to yourself and not telling others. You need to repent of beating yourself up when you realize how selfish you actually are. That, that's not the gospel lens. It's not about you. It, it, it's about serving others we're going to see in just a second. Listen, those are three ways you may need to repent today. You, you need to believe that you have new creation responsibility. 
That, that's what these verses are saying. You, you, you need to realize the responsibility that comes with the joy of being made into a new creation. And then you need to live out your new creation status. You need to live for the one who saved you. And, and, and he's actually telling us in this text, we're going to see it very clearly in just a moment, that he's telling you to be a courageous evangelist. Actually, what I was thinking about is that, that this, it's impossible to say that I'm a Christian if I'm not evangelizing courageously. Really, that's the connection that's made to new creation responsibility. That, that you don't live for yourself any longer. You, you actually serve now your rescuer and those that he loves and wants to bring into his kingdom. So I will be courageous and I will courageously evangelize when I am convinced that it's my responsibility. But, but let's ask another question to help us to see more fully how to have courage in evangelism. So question number two is this, to what am I called? Really, we're asking, what am I to do? Now, the answer comes starting in verse 18. Look with, it, look with me, it says this, all this is from God. All this is from God. All that's happening is from God. Becoming a new creation is from God. It's God's work. So we can be confident in what we do as courageous evangelists because it's God who does the work. It's, he's the one that did the work in your life. He's the one that will do the work in whoever needs to hear the gospel. And this is why we need to understand that, that, that evangelism is really not about flashy programs and, and big services and, and, and lots of bells and whistles. I do believe God desires our best and he wants us to serve him with excellence with the gifts that he's given us. But, but really evangelism is not dependent upon my performance. In evangelism, it's much more important to be submissive to God than to be slick for God. I mean, it's not how slick we are in attracting the masses that is the thing that is going to save people. We have to expend ourselves for the Lord, but, but we need to realize this. God will break through if you aren't slick. If you stumble over your words and, and it seems like a failure in that, listen, if God wants to save that person, he, he can use your worst, even as we try to do things for our best. So in spite of how slick we think we are, we got to realize God's the one that does the work. And that means this. It means... There's no bank account that's too small to evangelize for Christ. There's no stature that's too frail to speak up for Christ. There's no social position that is beyond his ability to use. It's so fascinating to see God, God doesn't need my help, but he still uses me. Even in my frail sometimes afraid, sometimes stumbling forward types of way. He doesn't need me, but he uses me. He uses you and I, new creations who understand the responsibility to what we are called to. Actually, he defines this here further in verse 18. All this is from God. God does the work who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That's the gospel right there. Through Christ, he reconciles us to himself, right? And then gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you know that you are a minister in God's kingdom? 
You could be the Minister of Defense, Minister of Social Services, Minister of Health, Minister of whatever, but nope, he gave all of us one ministry, the Ministry of Reconciliation. Now, think about that. He gave us the Ministry of Reconciliation. So, who is the us in that phrase? Now, for sure it was Paul writing it and his team uh, that was part of it, but, but let me ask you a question. Just go ahead right now. Raise your hand if you have been reconciled to God. So, those reconciled have been given a role to play. What am I called to? What am I supposed to do? You're supposed to be a minister of reconciliation, according to verse 18. So, so saved people are put on mission to see other people saved. Or reconciled people have a calling to see other people reconciled. What does it mean to be reconciled? Well, simply this. It means to be in right relationship. God has reconciled you. He calls you friend. Whoa! He's, he's brought you into relationship with Him even though you were a sinner far from Him, weren't even interested in Him, had your eyes covered to Him, were dead in the trespasses of your sins. He, he's changed you, it says in these previous verses. He's reconciled you to Christ. And now he invites you as one who's been reconciled to tell others that they can have that same gift as well. In this notice, he didn't say that if those of you who've been reconciled with Christ, some of you should be formed into a special evangelism team and the rest of you don't have the responsibility. What he says here instead is every person, all of us are called to share, with the, share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody soon. He calls us to this ministry of reconciliation. The word is diakonos. It's where we often get our word deacon. And it's the idea of serving, to serve somebody, to serve tables is often what it was, what it, what it was called. Your waiter at the restaurant. This is the ministry, the, 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 the thing that we have. So here, evangelism is not a role to ascend to, but it's a service to humble ourselves down to. And I think that's part of the reason why we don't engage in courageous evangelism. We think that it's something that I have to get trained and there's so many things that I have to get up here to do. And we don't realize it's not about ascending to something where I'm so skilled that I'm better than everybody else. It's simply really humbling yourself down to the role of serving those who are around you who need the gospel. I think the reason why we don't do courageous evangelism is, is not because we are inadequate so that's often what's said, but it's because we are actually, in fact, too proud. It's not that you don't know what to say, but that you're afraid of what will happen if you do say it. I remember some of my first times uh, in this task of evangelism in high school. Uh, some of my friends and I realized, hey, we're supposed to do this evangelism thing. And we, we kind of stumbled our way through and trying to research, okay, what does that mean? How do we do that? And we got together one day and we went to the mall uh, in one evening and we began handing out different uh, tracts and trying to talk to people about Jesus. And I remember the first time I actually tried to talk to somebody about Jesus, uh, that person laughed in my face, brought all his friends around and said, he's trying to tell you something crazy, and, and they had a good laugh around it. I was devastated. I mean, that's the thing we're all afraid of, that I'm going to look foolish in front of all these other people. But too many times we, 
we, we don't say these things, because, not because we don't know what to say or how to say it, it's because we're too prideful to serve other people who need to hear the gospel. Courageous evangelism is service. We need to descend to the place of serving other people, and that might cost you something. We've thought of evangelism backwards for far too long. We thought, thought that it was something that we put out of reach, something that we have to get up to from here, but really, and that puts fear into our hearts, but really we need to see the courage to, to be involved in evangelism is found in humility. Courage comes because I'm confident in my role. I, I have a humble, right estimation of understanding of what it is. And it's not about me. And it's not what people think about me. It's about serving lost people. That means we have a goal altogether that we may have different abilities to accomplish. I mean, Paul had a certain gift set where he could stand in front of a thousand people and explain the gospel or in front of philosophers and, and really smart people. You and I might be different. We might only be able to do it on a one-on-one -on -one setting, but we have a role. We are a minister of reconciliation. Notice at the end here what it says or what it says in verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Your job is to tell people that if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, all your sins don't count against you because they're taken care of. That's the good news message that frees us. You've been entrusted with the message. I mean, think about it. How many of us know Jesus Christ and have a relationship with God because someone proclaimed the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to us. I, most of us, that's what happened in more of a one-on-one -on -one setting in a quiet moment with a friend or with a parent. Or it, it, most of us weren't at these big preaching events when that happened. In all of that, I think you should not underestimate the power of simply speaking the message of reconciliation to those who need to hear it around you. It's your role. You can be confident in it. God does the work. Your job is simply to open your mouth and share the message. As I've preached before in, a, in another message, God uses nobodies to tell everybody about somebody, that somebody being Jesus. Listen, he wants to use you and me. No, we don't have to be special, just us to tell people about him. So, Tonight, you might, or today, you might have to repent of your pride. You might have to repent of this thing that's holding you back. You, you've used all sorts of other excuses to mask your pride. Listen, don't excuse yourself anymore. Today can be the day where you say, you know what, that's true. It's really not about being afraid of what to say, but what people will think of me if I say it. Today's the day you can repent of that. Then you, then you can believe, listen, God has given me this role, this ministry of reconciliation. I see it on the page of Scripture, and I'm going to have to put that into action. Listen, courage comes from, the conf from confidence in the role given to you by God. And the knowledge, listen, He'll do the work. He's given you the role to be the messenger. And then that means you're going to have to live this out. So you're going to have to serve somebody who is lost by being a minister of reconciliation. I mean, just think about who could that be? 
Who could that be already even this week or even by the end of today that you could actually be the minister of reconciliation and say, listen, God wants to be in right relationship with you and he's provided the way through Jesus Christ to forgive you, to not count your trespasses, your sins against you. Isn't that good news? Don't you want to hear about that? So we're saying here, how is it that Paul can be courageous in evangelism and how is he trying to teach us to be the same? Well, we see that courageous, I will courageously evangelize when I'm convinced that it's my responsibility, when I'm confident in my role as a minister of reconciliation. And then one more thing. Let's introduce it in the form of a question again. Question number three today is this. What do I say? Well, we say what God has told us to say. That's what we're going to learn here. Look at verse 20 here. It says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So, so this is important. We, we are the messengers for Christ, but he calls us ambassadors. And ambassadors for the king don't get to say what they want to say. They deliver the message the king has brought them and told them to say. An ambassador is a messenger sent to represent a king. We are the representatives of the king of kings, and we are to represent him in word and deed. So evangelism, I've said this a couple different times, is presenting the gospel with the purpose of persuading. And that means we're going to have to do three things. We're going to have to invite people. That means we're going to have to say, come. We're going to have to proclaim to people, hey, hear this. This is the message. And then we're going to have to persuade people. Hey, would you consider this? It might change your mind. Think thoroughly about these things. It's going to be life-changing. We need to have the courage to be evangelist, to, to invite people and to and to, and to uh, have them hear the message and to persuade them of it because the king has sent us to do this. And in sending us, he's given us the power to do this. I mean, Luke 11, 11, or 12 verse 11 and thir- says, says, talks about the worst case scenario. What if I have to proclaim Christ in front of a hostile crowd, in front of a trial of people? In that worst case scenario, is there any help? And, and Luke s- says this, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Listen, that's the worst case scenario. I think in a regular everyday life, the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say to somebody who is lost and you need to share the message with. An ambassador is somebody who gives this message. No matter when the time is, in season or out of season. And so that's why I would tell you the ambassador is always on duty. I really appreciate an author by the name of Paul Tripp and what he says about this word of ambassador here in 2 Corinthians. He says this, The job of an ambassador is to represent someone or something. Everything he does and says must intentionally represent a leader who is not physically present. His calling isn't limited to 40 hours a week or to certain state events or to times of international crisis. He's always the king's representative. In other words, the work of an ambassador is incarnational. His actions, character, and words embody the king who is not present. 
In the same way, Paul says that God has called us all to function as his ambassadors. Everything we say and do has import because of the king that we represent. Ambassador is somebody who's sent with the message of the king to persuade on behalf of him. And the message that we have is called the gospel. It's the message that saves. And notice here, the ambassador is sent. And he's sent in word and deed. As, as the quote just said here, somebody who in not just their words, but in their actions are representing the king. And so the ambassador needs to function with compelling action to open the door to the message. We need to carry ourselves as ambassadors. So that means how we live our lives should represent the king. How we care for our family. How, God, how we do perform good works how we serve in the community, how we respect government authorities. All of these things are ways that we are supposed to represent the king and never dishonor him by our actions. But it's interesting to note that it's not just a deed or doing type of thing. It's also a word thing. Ambassadors do not fulfill their calling until they deliver the message that they were sent with. It says here that God, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So what's the appeal? What is it that we are supposed to, the message that we're supposed to bring? Well, it, it's the rest of verse 20 and verse 21. Really, this is something that is, is the message that we should say to those who are lost. We should say, I implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel message right there. That's speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, I implore you on behalf of Jesus Christ. He wants you to be reconciled to him. And he's provided the way to actually do that. Jesus has taken your place as a sinner and he's given you his place as the perfect son. He's switched spots with you. This is the beautiful doctrine of substitution. Don't let the big words scare you. Substitution, right? The substitute for me. It's Jesus in my place. It's Jesus paying the price I was supposed to pay when he went up on the cross. And it's him giving me his perfect righteousness so that that's how God sees me now. Listen, when you believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation, when you believe that God wants to be reconciled into right relationship with you, and the way that he's provided is that you believe Jesus Christ, this is what you're believing. Jesus in your place. Which is so amazing. And so wonderful. On the cross, the perfect son was dying for me because he lived a perfect life. He didn't deserve it. It says, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. He made him to be sin, so he poured the wrath of our sin out onto him and paid the price. Justice was served so that there's a substitute. If we believe in Jesus, we get his perfection. We experience new life and we get to be new creations. Now, I want us to remember the story that I told you earlier. The story of the four lepers and the siege of the city of Samaria. Remember what was happening in the city during the siege? What were they eating? Donkey heads. They were sacrificing their animals that could, could actually serve in the fields. They had no use. The city was surrounded. Bird dung, 
that's what they were eating to fill their bellies. It was so bad that two mothers were giving up their sons, or at least one of them did, and they, they ate their sons. How terrible is that? That's how desperate a sin-sick world is. We'll eat our own children. But God, listen, gave up his son. He, he made him to be sin, even though there was no sin in him. He's the one who, who, who gave up his son so we don't have to eat our own children. We don't have to make these terrible, desperate choices that are horrendous to try to save ourselves. Because God said, I'll give up my son in your place. I'll, I'll make him pay for it. He's the one that will die. Listen, we're not under siege anymore. And you need to realize, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, we're the lepers. We're the ones who, who go out and see. and We're free. The, the enemy is gone. We don't have to eat our children anymore. We are free. And how wrong would it be for us not to take the responsibility and confidently walk in the role and open our mouths and speak as ambassadors, pleading with people who are lost, you can be saved. That means that today we might have to repent of our silence. We've been silent too long. We, we've been prideful. We've been selfish. And, and now I realize I need to repent and I need to start carrying myself as a representative of Christ, as the ambassador of Christ that I am. I need to believe it's the gospel message that saves. I, that's the only thing that will help people from eating their children. I've got to tell them. We, we need to live it out by speaking up. I mean, who will you tell the gospel this week? I'll courageously evangelize when I'm convinced it's my responsibility, confident in my role, and clear about the message. Listen, you and I, we're, we're new creation people that have a new purpose, a new responsibility. We can be confident in it to open our mouth and courageously tell people Jesus Christ. Let me persuade you about Jesus Christ. He's the way into salvation. Courageous evangelism. We, we've got to be pursuing this. Convinced it's our responsibility, which we may have to repent of some selfishness. Courageous because we're confident in our role. We've got to repent of our pride. Courageous because I'm clear about the message. I've got to repent of my silence. And in that, we can see how God uses new creations, you and I, to help other people understand we're free. We're free. Will you now go and be a courageous evangelist? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's challenging. It challenges right to the very depths of the hearts of the things that many times we are afraid of. Lord, we confess even as we hear this message today, Lord, we, we, we've been so selfish, so prideful, so self-consumed and silent about things that many times we have been very afraid and therefore not fulfilling the responsibility you've given to us. Lord, forgive us. 
Lord, bring repentance into our heart now. Lord, we, we can't even do the work of repentance. Would you, would you show us how we can cling to you in a way that would bring the repentance of where we've been wrong in these things, that you would embolden us to be the courageous evangelist that you want us to be, the witness of you. Help us to see it's our responsibility. Help us to be confident in the role and clear about the gospel message in that. Lord, I thank you that you sent Jesus to become sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. Lord, we thank you that he humbled himself and he carried the cross and, and demonstrated this amazing love for us. Lord, help us to see we've got to tell the good news to others. Lord, the good news is that Jesus is our Savior. He's the name above all names. He's the Redeemer and he's with us and he rescues sinners. Father, would you help us to see the beauty of that that we would be the courageous evangelists that you have called us to. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.